Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. Today's scripture reading is from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. This is the word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, this morning we come before you and I pray, Lord, that you would just remove every hindrance as we dive into this beautiful passage that your righteousness has been revealed and the righteous shall live by faith. There is nothing I need to do, but you have done it for me. I just need to have faith in that. What a beautiful passage. Lord, this morning, forgive my poor words, but I pray that your spirit would work mightily, work mightily in all of us here. And you might pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now step back with me for a second. The year is 1515. We have a 32-year-old monk who's starting a university class in the book of Romans. Now this monk is actually a relatively new monk. He's younger. In his monkhood, that is. He was trained to be a lawyer. He practiced law. But when he finally got to it, he said, I'm missing something here. I need something more religious. I'm going to become a monk because I don't feel right about myself. So he becomes a monk. And as his time as a monk, he studies God's word intently. But he always has this item that he's missing. What am I missing? Every time I go to confession, every time I come before the Lord, I don't feel worthy. Something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with what I'm reading I'm missing something. Hence, we come to Romans in chapter 1. And he gets to verse 17, and he reads this verse. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. When he reads it, he reads it in the Latin. And there's a word, justificare. It's the word for justice. It's an interesting word for justice, It's a Roman word for justice, and it's an act of justice. If I go out and I work on building that road for 10 years, I am used to facare. I am justified. But it's active. I have to do something 
to get it. And as he read that, he said, I'm missing something here. So he opens the Greek, and he sees the word dikasune, and I'm saying that wrong, but that's right. And the word means a passive righteousness, not an active righteousness. Now what's the difference, you say? It's a huge difference. There is nothing I can do to get this righteousness. It is gifted to me. I am clothed in it, and it is not my own. It is someone's else. So as he reads this passage, he says, the righteousness of God is given to me? I get the righteousness of God? I can be holy before God? I can be seen as right before God and justified? And there's nothing I have to do? And at that moment, Martin Luther said this, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Spirit. And the doors of paradise swung open. And I walked through. This morning, we're going to look at some amazing verses. And I get really excited about these. I got to tell you, my emotions that you won't see most of the time come out in this. This is God's righteousness given to us so that we can be with God. Now let's take a step back. We're in Romans. If you're not in Romans in your Bible right now, I would encourage you to open it. You're going to have to look at the words we have today because we're going to be diving deep. Now, where are we at in Romans? Last week, Lars gave us a great introduction. Paul starts his letters with a greeting and who he is. I'm Paul. This is why I'm here. This is what I want to tell you. So last week, we learned this is Paul. He's an apostle. He has authority to teach. Typical Pauline introduction. And he wants to write to the people who are in Rome. So that's who the audience is. Then we always have this Thanksgiving piece, but we have a special Thanksgiving that we're going to dive into today. It's a little bit longer in Romans, and it gives us some insights into Paul and who he really is, which I love. So we have this nice Thanksgiving. I thank my God for you. You're renowned by your faith. I really want to come see you. I really want to give you something. I really want to preach the word to you. And then we have our theme that we're going to go over this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the righteousness of God is revealed in it by faith. And then we go into the doctrinal teachings, or the body of the letter. And this will be, depending on how you look at it, 11 to 12 chapters of doctrinal teachings by Paul, where he will go through these two verses we're going to look at today and expound upon them. Think of that. Two verses, he expounds 10, 11 chapters. These are big verses, important verses. Then after that, he talks about how do we practically live that out? And then he closes the letter. Now, as we go through this, I want you to remember, our theme this morning is found in verses 16 and 17. And that is going to be the crux of the entire letter. That is where everything is going to hinge on. So we have our Thanksgiving, we learn about Paul, then we have the theme in the rest of the book will be about that. Now let's dive into this. Let's go to verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, a couple things come out in this verse when I first read it. The first one is the first part, right? First. Whenever I see first, I think there's got to be a list, right? Let's go find second. Let's go find third. Let's go find fourth. Paul's a smart guy. He wouldn't leave a first sitting by itself. 
But there is no second. If you guys look in Romans, there's no third, there's no fourth. That's because this first is poorly translated. It should say foremost. So foremost or first of or utmost importance, listen to me. Now, it's interesting. When I'm with my kids and I want them to hear something, I say, all right, kids, sit. Look at me in my eyes. There's something important coming. You need to hear what I'm saying. Paul's doing that exact thing here. He's saying, Romans, look at me in my eyes. There's something important coming. Foremost, listen to what I am about to say. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. There's so much dripping in this that we can learn about Paul. He thanks God for them. He's thankful for them. But he gives credit where credit is due. He gives it to God. I thank God for you. I am so glad you're here, but it's all because of God and I thank him. And it's not just any God. This is not a far off God, a God we don't know, a God that we've never really heard of before. This is my God. This is a personal God. This is who Paul knows personally. This is my God through Jesus Christ, a God I get to talk to, a God that I am familiar with, a God that all of you can be familiar with too because he's personal. He's not far off. There's a book by one of the Bush daughters called My Dad, My President. And in that book, it's interesting because we call him Mr. President or The President, but to her, because she has a personal relationship with him, he's my president. And this was George H.W. Bush. And she said, he's my president, which makes it special. Paul does the same thing here. This is my God, my personal God, who I love, who I want you to know. He, and he says, to God be the glory. Thank you, God, for these Romans. Why? Because their faith is renowned throughout the world. Now, it wasn't really known throughout the world, right? This is hyperbole. This is more of, hey, everybody in the known Roman world has heard, heard about you. Now, remember, the newspapers, eh, they're not quite there yet. No internet yet. I know we don't know what that's like. But everything had to go word of mouth, right? So in order to hear something, you had to have word of mouth. And the way word of mouth went was with the roads, and the Romans had the roads. So wherever there was a Roman road, they would talk about this church in Rome. So he says, I thank my God that your faith is heard about all over. Now, why is it important for the church in Rome? Now, I think of another church when I think of this. Redeemer Presbyterian, if you remember, Tim Keller was a pastor there for a long time. It is downtown New York City. And when I think of New York City, guess what? I don't think of the gospel. I think of anything but. But when you hear of a church thriving in this huge metropolis and their faith is proclaimed, there's something special about it. This church is doing something right. And Paul's saying that. Hey, Rome, Roman church, you're doing something right. Everybody's heard about you. Thank God for you. Now, there's also something we need to remember on this. Thank God for this. Not, thank you, Romans. Good job, Romans. You're speaking the word. Good job, Romans. You're reading God's word. Good job, guys. Pat yourself on the back. You're doing a great job. No, Romans. Thank God. 
And you will understand why I say thank God because you truly love the Lord with me. Do we do that? Do we thank God for each other? Do we thank God for good sermon? Do we thank God for good Sunday school? Or do we thank each other? Paul would say, don't thank Greg for anything. He's only doing what he's supposed to do. This is his obligation to do. But thank God that the word can be brought and can be preached. Now let's look at the next one. His prayer. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now it's interesting in our society, we don't like to wait for anything, do we? Whenever I get an Amazon, I make sure I put that little prime filter on because if I have to wait four days for something, that's a little crazy, right? Two days is the max. Anything over two days, I don't even want it, right? And heaven forbid I would actually have to leave my house to pick it up too. I don't want that. I want it now. Fulfill me now. Now, Paul here is doing something completely different. He's praying without ceasing. Now, I have to confess something. I have the same ideas in my prayer life, right? I pray to God for something and I expect it to be answered right away, kind of like Amazon, right? God, I want you to, you know, heal this person. Wait, it's been three days and you haven't healed them? Did you not get my message? What's going on here, God? You want this too, right? God, please save my brother. Please save this person from hell. This is a good thing to pray for. God, why am I still praying about this five days later, six days later, a month later, a year later? I'll be honest, it falls in my list, and I don't pray without ceasing anymore. I have to remind myself to put it back up in the list so I can pray. But Paul, he prays without ceasing for this church that he can come and he can see them. We get a great insight to Paul right here. He doesn't stop. It doesn't matter who it is. Now remember, Paul is the man that went around killing Christians for a living, dragging them before tribunals, executing them before Jesus grabbed them off the road to Damascus. He was a pretty go-getter guy. He was on a mission. And when he becomes a Christian, when he becomes an apostle for Christ, he brings that same fervor to everything he does, just as we should. I pray without ceasing that I can come see you. I always think of Luke 18. So at the beginning of Luke 18, Jesus tells a parable of a widow and an unrighteous judge, where she goes to the judge and says, Judge, you know, this isn't just. Something has happened. This isn't just. Please give me justice. And it says the judge continually pushed her off. But she kept coming back. And eventually, the word is actually annoyed. He was annoyed by her. And he gave in and gave her justice. And Jesus' point is, if the unjust judge will give this person what they want when they ask over and over again, why wouldn't your father do the same for the elect? And that's what Paul's doing here. He's praying over and over and over. Please let me come. Please let me come. Please, I just want to go and I want to tell them a couple things about you. We need to have this same persistence in our prayer life. If we're praying, 
for the unsaved, if we're praying for maybe something in our lives, if we're praying for God's will, we should never fear to pray over and over and over and over again. It's not annoying to God. God wants to hear this. It's okay. He's your father. He wants to hear these things. Pray without ceasing. And guess what? The prayer of a righteous person has great power. So the Pauline perspective says, I'm going to pray without ceasing over and over and over again because I want to serve these people in Rome. Now, why does he want to do this? What motivates him for this? And we have it here, whom I serve in my spirit. Now, there's something really special about Paul. His spirit is aligned with his mission. In my spirit, whom I serve, I want to do this. Every being, everything in me, every fiber in me wants to serve the Lord Jesus, wants to come and impart something to you. He leaves nothing out. There is nothing left to Paul. You don't know where Paul ends and his ministry begins because it's one thing. It's his spirit. This is who I am. How many of us say, well, you know, today I'm Greg Smelker, the Sunday school teacher. I'm going to act a little different. I've got to be a little different. And today I'm Greg, the coder at work. Today I am a software developer. Today I am this. Today I'm that. And it's not really our being because... We know where Greg starts and stops and all these other things starts and stop, right? But in Paul, it's one thing. When you hear Paul, I hear apostle. I hear praying without ceasing. I hear somebody that wants to impart God's wisdom to us because he has one being, one spirit. And in my spirit, I serve the Lord. We need to do the same. Now, let me take a stop for a second. There's some very important words and punctuation we need to have here. Now I'm going to have a cartoon come up here quickly. And I'll let you guys read that. But when we look at the Bible, when we look at Romans especially, we need to be very careful about the words that are used and even the punctuation. Now, if you say... God will provide Isaac, that says Isaac is being provided. If I say God will provide, comma, Isaac, it means that God will provide Isaac. Don't worry about it, as this joke has. Now, in Romans, there's little words that are very important. For, specifically, for us today, is an extremely important word because it's tying together the reasoning that Paul has. First or foremost, for God is my witness, for I long to see you, for I am not ashamed, for it is the power for salvation, for in it the righteousness of God, all the way to verse 18, for the wrath of God, and so on. We need to understand this reasoning and why these, user, why these words are used. I grew up and I always had a teacher that would say, when there's a therefore, we need to figure out what it's there for. Right? And I think many of you have heard that before. It's very important for us to understand participles, conjunctions, prepositions. I bet you didn't think you were going to hear that this morning. I bet you said, yeah, I'm out of high school. I'm never going to use that again. Well, you're going to. Because it's important. We have to know these things if we truly want to dive into these passages. 
What is it for? Why am I doing this? Now I'm going to encourage you, as you read God's word, especially in Romans, take these small words and find out what they're there for. Circle them. Underline them. Understand what I'm doing with these because the reasoning doesn't make sense without them. If I don't have the four before I am not ashamed of the gospel, there's a new thought starting, and it's not because Paul is eager to teach the gospel. It's just sitting on its own. It doesn't have the same gravitas that it should. So it's important as we look at all of these to see these small words. Now let's go on. His longing, Paul's longing. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Now he tells us why he wants to go there. So Paul, I'm thankful for all of you, to God, for who you are, you're renowned. I really want to see you. I've been praying for this for a long time. Why? So I can impart some spiritual gift on you. Now, at first glance, you sit there and go, wow, Paul's full of himself. He thinks he can come to this church that is renowned by faith in the world. And he says, I'm going to impart a spiritual gift to you. That's, wow. He really thinks highly of himself. But when you get to the end of the verse, you notice that that's not at all what Paul is doing here. I think I can help you in some small way. And guess what? While I'm helping you, you're helping me too. We can be encouraged together. This is what God has for us. It's not just me. It's not just you. It's us together that we can mutually be encouraged. Now, if anyone is going to say, I'm going to come to you and impart some spiritual gift, it is Paul. Right? Let's be serious about that. If Greg says, I'm going to come and impart some spiritual gift, you're going to go, uh-huh. Sure. Sure you are. But if Paul says it, you go, wow, he might. He is a big man. But he would never let those words cross his mouth without caveating and saying, because you're going to encourage me too. I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the Lord. And guess what? When I preach, when I impart wisdom from the Lord, we both win. Now, it's interesting. Have you ever done a ministry and in that ministry, you feel like it's a sacrifice? Let me just give you a scenario. Wake up Sunday morning. I go to Sunday school. I teach my three and four-year-olds at Sunday school. And I finish and I'm dead tired. And the parents come. And they pick up their kids, and they go home, and I go home. And the whole time I'm going, wow, nobody said thank you. I just sacrificed my morning for these little brats, and nobody said thank you. Are you serious? Do you understand that my time is important, and I just sacrificed? Now, it's not just Sunday school. This can happen in any ministry, right? Awana, youth group, even preaching from the pulpit, I can come up here and say, guys, I spent a lot of time on this sermon. It's really good. And you're not thanking me? I sacrificed for you. And you're not thanking me? Well, let me give you a different perspective. Let me give you a Pauline perspective on this. Do you understand the joy I can have by preaching to you? The joy of preparation, diving into God's word, seeing the truth there, and laying it out plainly for all of you. The encouragement of preaching to those that you love. Yes, we love you very much. And when you preach, there is a love that you have for the people that overwhelms you. And then the rest, after the fact. I can rest that I've done God's will. I can rest 
that I've done my obligation to preach his word and I can rest in him afterwards. I'm encouraged by this. There's nothing in this that I should say, I'm sacrificing, look at me. I should say, thank you for letting me do this. Thank you in some way that I can be encouraged and I pray that you're encouraged also by this. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. I want to come strengthen you. I want to give you something that you don't have. Not that you're not a great church, not that you're not loved, not that you're not renowned in this world, but let me give you this small piece of something. And at the same time, I'm going to be encouraged too. And we can be encouraged together in the Lord because we're both doing what he wants for us. When you go to each ministry, every ministry from here on out, remember that. I'm not doing this ministry so I can be seen because I sacrificed. I'm doing this for the Lord. And praise the Lord that I can be encouraged with you in this ministry. It's not a drag. It's not bad. This is something I actually look forward to. And I love it. I love it. Now it's interesting, Martin Lund-Jones says, wouldn't it be interesting if Paul came and spent a week with you? If he can write Romans in a couple days, think of what he could do in a week. Think of what he could do in a month. Think of what he could do in three years. This is a tiny little piece of a book, but Paul can come and impart something huge. Now, all of us can do the same. When we put our mind in the right perspective, that I can impart some small gift, and in it, we can be encouraged together, you can do great things in any ministry. Now let's look at his mission. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, I want to come and I want to reap some harvest. I want to do the Lord's work here. Now, why hasn't he come? There could be a lot of reasons. In Acts 16, we see the Holy Spirit stopping Paul from doing something. Right? Paul says, I want to go here. The Holy Spirit says, eh, you're not going there. Well, then I'll go here. Nah, you're not going there either. You're going here. So it could be the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians, we see that Paul is extremely sick for a long time. So maybe he's sick. Maybe he can't get out of bed for a while. Maybe he can't move because of that. He's a very busy man. He's going to lots of churches. There's lots of places he wanted to go and preach. Maybe he was busy and just couldn't fit it into his schedule yet. Or maybe, as in 1 Thessalonians 2, Satan was hindering him from getting there. We don't know why Paul couldn't get there or why he hadn't been there yet. But as we heard before, he was always praying that he can get there. He's praying without ceasing, I want to get there because I can encourage you and I want to reap a harvest. Now, when he says I want to reap a harvest, this is kind of a twofold idea here. One, there's this harvest of building up the church in God's truth. And two, there's this harvest of local evangelism, right? These are the same harvests we should be reaping in our local church. We should want to build up the church, strengthen the church, and we should want to bring people in to hear the gospel. That's exactly what he's saying. My mission here is to come and teach you and at the same time bring people in, converts. I want to reap that harvest because that's what I'm supposed to do. And then he uses a very interesting term. I am under obligation. 
Now, if you remember, as I said before, Paul was killing Christians. He's on the road to Damascus. This light shows up, and in it, Jesus' voice calls Paul, and Paul is given a mission. Now, Paul is a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret, whatever you want to say. He is one of the most elite soldiers in the world, because when you put him on a mission, he's like an arrow. He's going to hit that mission. He's going to do what you said. And, And Jesus says, Paul, your mission is to go build my church, specifically the Gentile church. Go out and build this church for me. And Paul says to the Romans, I'm under obligation. I want to come, but I want to do my job. I want to do what the Holy Spirit has told me to do so I can reap some small harvest among you. Now, do you know that we have the same mission that Paul does? Do you know that we're told the exact same words to go out and teach? But not just teach, not just evangelize and stop there, but we're also told to disciple. Do you remember? Paul stood up here and preached to us about this. Discipling one another. We also have to disciple. We have to build up the church. We have the same mission and we should have the same obligation Paul does. To everyone, to the Jew and the Greek, to the wise and the foolish, we need to tell everyone about this gospel. That's our mission. And nothing should stop us. So let's chain these thoughts together. Paul, I want to come see you. I miss you. I love you. I know you're doing great, but I want to come to you. I want to give you something small. I want to encourage you so you can encourage me because this is my mission and I'm on it and I'm going to do it right. And then he ends it with something very interesting to me. This is uh, verse 15 here. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. This is the perfect job for Paul. He has a mission. He knows what he needs to do. And on top of that, he wants to do it. As I said in our ministries, if we want to do it, perspectives change. Everything changes. He has this heart that says, I am eager to preach the gospel with you. Praise the Lord. Let's go. Do you guys have that? I'll be honest. It's hard for me sometimes. It's hard for me sometimes to be eager about this. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes work isn't going well. Sometimes the kids are a mess. Sometimes I have to deal with snow and maybe a wreck. And maybe, as Ben said before, I have to shovel my driveway. These little things in life get in our way and steal our eagerness. But not with Paul. And it shouldn't be the same with us. We should be eager at all times to go out and preach the gospel. We are under obligation The Lord is looking for us to do this. And we need to do this. Because guess what? Do you know what ruins ministry quicker than anything else? A bad attitude. It's funny, I I work with youth. And you can always tell in youth when something's not going right. Because when you walk in and the leaders are, hey, nice of you to come tonight. Yep. You look good. Mm Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, we got a fun night planned. Oh, do you see this over here? Yeah, no. If I'm a kid, guess what I'm going to do? I don't want to be here. Who's this guy? He's got a terrible attitude. But if I have a hello, good morning. It's nice to see you this morning, Paul. I am so glad you are here. Your smile right now is lighting me up, literally in the inside. And I just love it. I can't wait to minister together tonight. Does that change the ministry just a tad? And imagine this is the Apostle Paul telling you this. Hey, I'm excited to come see you guys. I'm eager to preach the gospel. We need to have the same mindset in everything we do. Be eager. Be excited. 
for the gospel. And then we dive into our wonderful theme here. I'm eager to preach the gospel. Remember that, because that's going to go right into where our theme is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For what is it? It is the power of salvation for all who believe. Now let's take a look at this. Why? I'm not ashamed. I'm not scared to doubt anyone about anything. Because I love the Lord and I want you to know, and I'm eager to tell you about it. Now there's certain parts of our lives that we're very eager about. We're not ashamed to tell them. One of them is if there's an Ohio State football game, I am eager to put on my jersey and tell everyone that I am an Ohio State fan. A, because we're going to win and we're really good. And B, because there's nothing to be ashamed about. You can either like it or not. I don't care. I'm going to tell you that Ohio State is awesome. Ohio State football, especially. Now, how come I can do that? And sometimes I walk into my work office and we've got our seminar on being nice to everyone, encouraging everyone. And all of a sudden, I'm a little bit scared of the gospel of Christ. I don't want to speak up and say, no, I don't agree with what you're saying. No, I, I'm not here for the same reason. No, I can't support you in that. We are sometimes ashamed of this gospel because it makes us look bad. We are sometimes ashamed of this gospel because it's not what everybody wants to hear. We are sometimes ashamed because we're scared. But Paul's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? Because he's eager to preach it. He wants everybody to know about it. There's something amazing out there that you have to hear. We can't miss this. I'm not ashamed. Now, why? Because it's power. I taught junior high last week, and one of my favorite words in the New Testament is this Greek word, dynamis, power. It's where we get the word dynamite from. It literally means raw, awesome power. Isn't it cool that awesome's in the definition? I love that. Raw, awesome power. When you have a stick of dynamite or maybe some tannerite, and you're out and you explode it, there's that thump that you feel in your chest. Sometimes you get it on July 4th that you go, whoa, that was cool. Can you believe that? That's power. I can feel it make my heart skip. God has that power in spades. He has more power than we could ever believe. And how does he use it? Does he use it in a way to make himself better? Well, yes, kind of. But he uses that power for our salvation. I am not ashamed because this is God's power for salvation. He's taken this raw awesome power. And what has he done with it? He saved you. He saved you. Now let's take a second here and step back and let's paint a picture. What is salvation? Salvation is, as Oxford definition says, deliverance from absolute ruin or loss. I love that definition, by the way. Absolute loss or ruin. That is what God is saving us from. But let's start on the path here. God before creation, is holy and complete and needing absolutely nothing. Perfect God, three in one, perfect harmony. Doesn't need anything. God, in his wisdom, decides to create the world for his glory, as deserved. He creates the world. He creates it perfect. He creates it in a way where everything is exactly 
as it should be. As part of that world, he creates this human being. This human being, he says, you know what? I don't like robots. I'm going to give them my image, and I'm going to give them the ability to reason. I'm going to give them choice. So he creates the human beings. He creates choice. And he puts the human beings in this beautiful garden and says, you can do whatever you want except these few things. Hence, choice comes in. The humans in this situation decide that their choice is better than God's choice. And hence, sin is introduced. Sin is a very simple word, actually. It means missing the mark. It means that I'm not doing what God has for me. And that's what these humans do. They take it into their own hands, and they miss the mark, and they sin. And because of that, they can never again enter the presence of God. They're removed from his presence. Now, this would be eternally. And eternally removed from the presence of God is hell. Damnation. That's where we don't want to be, but that's where we're at. That's where we find ourselves. Now, guess what? These humans can work their entire lives, but they're never going to get back to that place where they can commune with God. So God, in his wisdom, in his power, finds a way for us to go back to him. Imagine this. The person that's been offended, the person that's done nothing wrong, gives one of his most precious, precious son, his only precious son, for us so that we could be with him. It's a poor example, but I heard an example of a roommate. So I have roommates. We live in a house together. And I own the house, but I have these roommates with us. And there's one rule I have in my house, and that's don't make a mess. Or if you do, clean it up before you go to bed. We don't want it there overnight, right? So the roommates live together for a while, and one roommate starts getting messy. And they leave out a book. And they say, it's just a book. Don't worry about it. It becomes two books. It becomes four books. It becomes ten books. All of a sudden, there's a room filled with books, right? And they say, all right, we've had enough. We've given you everything you need. Let's stop there. Okay. Next room, one book, two book, three books. And hence, they go on. Now, as the owner of the house, I go, well, I don't want this mess in my house. You know what? I don't have a lot of money, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to work an extra job so that I can get these books removed because this is crazy. Why is this taking up all this space? So I work my extra job. I get all this extra money. And I go to my roommate and I say, hey, I'm going to get these books cleared for you. I know that, you know, whatever. It's water under the bridge. It's not a big deal. Just let me get rid of these books and I'll take care of them and we can be good. I don't have to kick you out of the house. Everything's going to be easy. We'll be fine. And of course, in this situation, the roommate goes, no, those are my books. Don't get rid of those books. Don't do something nice for me. I would rather be kicked out and keep my books than let you give me grace and take care of this for me. And that's the same situation we are here with God. God is going out of his way, solving a problem we can't solve. He's giving us a righteousness that we can't accomplish on our own. And we'll see that in verse 18. All we have to do is accept it. And we're being saved. We're being saved from a three-tier of sin. And let me explain this to you. We have been saved when we're saved from the penalty of sin, meaning that we no longer have death. We're being saved from sin's power, 
So it's power in our lives, right? We'll see later, slave to righteousness versus slave to sin. We can now be that slave to righteousness. And the last one is we're being saved from sin's presence, or I like it better, Lloyd-Jones calls it sin's pollution in the world, meaning sin is all around us. That's the salvation we're talking about, that God gives us by his power. So I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for this salvation. Now, who gets it? Everybody. Everybody gets this. To all believe. The Jew and the Greek, that's everybody in the world. Right? Everybody gets this salvation. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. Many religions up to this point are religions that are within a people group. Right? So the Israelites have their God. The Canaanites have their God. The Romans have their pantheon of gods. Everybody's got their own God. My God doesn't really save you. He just kind of saves me. So stay away from me. This isn't for everybody. This is my religion. You're not allowed to come in. Occasionally you'll have a convert. But all the religions were very tight and narrow. So this idea of everyone can come in and be saved is revolutionary. Everyone who believes this Roman church, don't keep anyone out. Everybody can come in. Think of the big cities. What do you get in New York? You get people from everywhere, right? It's not just a bunch of old white guys, right? It's every race, every tribe, every tongue, every nation is in that city. And guess what? It's the same in Rome. All roads lead to Rome. Everybody's there. And guess what? This salvation that we're giving out is for all of you. And we're going to tell all of you. Now let's talk about what happens in the salvation. For in it, in this salvation, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now let's go back for a second. Remember, where we stand outside of the gospel is that we are away from God and we can never get back to him. There's no possible way we can be in his presence. But in this, we see the righteousness of God has been revealed. His righteousness has been revealed. How, in what way? For us, by faith. So by faith, if I accept this righteousness, no longer does Greg have to be this stinky, ugly person before God. I am now clothed with Jesus in his righteousness, and God can see something beautiful and clean. When we talk about his blood washes us white as snow, this is exactly what we're talking about. He gives us the righteousness so that we can be clean before him. This righteousness is revealed. All you have to do is accept it by faith. Now, I love when words are defined in the Bible for us. In faith is, in Hebrews. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things seen. If we have the assurance and conviction that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins, we can be righteous. We can be with God. And then he ends with Habakkuk 2.4. For the righteous shall live by faith. Now, it's important when he quotes this for us to understand why he's quoting this. The Israelites are in this position where they have sinned against God. They have done bad things and huge judgment is coming. Right? There's nothing that they can do to get out of this judgment. It's coming for them and they're going to get it. And God sends Habakkuk and Habakkuk says, well, 
you know, the whole time it actually wasn't about this law. It was about having faith in God, and you guys should have figured that out. Because the righteous shall live by faith. Israelites, what were you thinking? Of course you're going to be punished because you didn't live by faith. And the same thing is true for us. If we don't live by faith, the assurance of this, we shall not receive this righteousness and hence be in the presence of God. Paul is eager to preach this. I want to bring this to Rome. I want to preach this gospel to you because it's so amazing. I pray without ceasing that I can come to you and preach this. I really, really want to do this because I know you love the Lord. I know you have faith. And together, we can do something great. I'm going to ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father to save us? Do you know that he took this amazing penalty for us so that we could be righteous before God, so that we could stand with him for eternity? If you don't know that, I pray right now to the Lord that you would. I pray that you would hear this. I pray that you would hear him calling you and that you would accept this. For those that do know this, are you eager? Can you say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ? Can you go out and boldly tell people that? Because if you can't examine yourself, that's not right. Jesus came and died for your sins and you've accepted that. How hard is it for you to give your life for him? That's what we're called to do, just like Paul. And not only that, do it with a good attitude. Be eager about this. We love this gospel. And I want to tell everyone, I want it to be infectious, not scary. I want everybody to come to God because I love him so much. And I want you to feel that same love that I have. Please stand with me and let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, we can all just come before you and say, I am not ashamed of the gospel for in it your righteousness is revealed. You've given us this wonderful gift of your son so that we can come right now as we're doing and stand in your presence as sons and daughters and talk to you and you hear us and you listen to us and you love us. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage each and every one of us to tell others that we would take this gospel and be eager and enjoy telling the world because we're not ashamed of the gospel. We love you so much and we want to give this gift to others. Right now, Lord, as we leave, I pray that that would be on our hearts, that you would quicken us to you and that would use us mightily in all that we do. In your name I pray, amen.